1: Is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Ollie, on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 Speedy Petey. It is a wonderful week of heat, craziness. And sports.
2: How are we today? Rangers forcing a game seven. Definitely nerve wracking. But they've come back from down three to one already to get it to this point. And some Ranger university. fans gave up on their team. So that's reactionary fans. Also, I want to give a shout out to my brother Dylan, who graduated from Quinnipiac. Uh, yes, let's go, so Dilly. He'll be starting grad school in July for occupational therapy. So giving a shout out on air to him as well.
1: Good job, Dilly. Anyways, we got a great show lined up for you guys tonight. <laughs> a little bit later in the show, we'll. We'll be talking to NFL Draft Bible Assistant Scouting Director and Writer for Sports Illustrated. Jack Borowski. We'll be talking about the NFL Draft with him as the NFL schedules came out this week. The Islanders fire Barry Trotz. Surprise fire. We will get into that. What happened with the New York Islanders? What happened with Barry Trotz? And why Lou Lamorello decided to move out of Barry Trotz's land. Jacob DeGrom now transferred to the 60-day DL. Tom Brady. Gets a broadcasting contract worth $375 million, which would make him the highest-paid broadcaster in sports history. Tom Brady, who's never stepped on a mic, been on a broadcast, is going to get a 10-year, $375 million contract. I'm not very happy about that because I should be getting that money. We will get into the NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball. The two hottest teams in baseball are the New York Yankees, And the New York Mets. Why don't we get into some hockey? And a lot of people early this week were surprised when a story came out that the Islanders are parting ways with Barry Trotz. Now, I've always believed that Barry Trotz has been the best coach in the NHL. I would say about seven years. He's one of the winningest coaches in NHL history, came to the Islanders four years ago, and really changed this organization into a winning franchise. Now, over the last year, with the new stadium, COVID situations, the Islanders really started the season off very, very slow. Traveling about 11,000 miles the first month of the season with no home games. After they lost eight or nine players to COVID in the middle of the season, it definitely affected them when they lost 11 games in a row. I do not believe Barry Trotz got fired because of where they ended up this season. Back-to-back years to an Eastern Conference championship. This organization has been as dominant as any hockey organization in the last four years. And a lot of people's favorite to winning the Stanley Cup this year. And after all that, the Islanders part way with their head coach. Now, when Lou Lamorello spoke at the press conference, Lou Lamorello would not give any answers on why he decided to part ways with Barry Trotz. I believe it's a lot more in depth that we probably won't know until maybe Lou Lamorello wants to write a book or Lou Lamorello completely retires as a GM and steps away from hockey, which could be soon because he's 80 years old. I believe Lula Morello wants to move another path to where he believes this team can transition into a Stanley Cup contender. Now, with their defense this year and the additions that they made with Zach Parisi and Chara. It really didn't work. Now, going into the offseason, the Islanders have some money. They're going to have to pay Noah Dobson. They're going to have to decide if they want to trade certain players like a Josh Bailey, Bolivier, even Vlamov. What they do know is they have a very good all-around defensive team. They have a great young goaltender that played sensational this year. was a very big bright spot for them this year. But they need to find offense. And Barry Trotz's system teaches you to think defense, then offense. Barzell is coming up on his final year of his three-year contract that he signed two and a half years ago. If you were an Islander fan and you're worried to lose Barzell in free agency, the Islanders need to figure out how to get this kid moving where he is excited if he decides to sign a new contract with the New York Islanders. Right now, if you're an Islander fan, you're probably shocked. You're probably wondering if Lou knows what he's doing. Just like all the Yankee fans were wondering if Brian Cashman knew what he was doing. You don't question a GM that's been successful everywhere he's gone as an NHL GM. Lou Lamorello, not this year, but the last two years has been GM of the year. He knows what he is doing. Now, does it shock you that he fired a great coach like Barry Trotz? Yes. Am I upset about it? A little bit. Do I think... Barry Trotz is the end-all, be-all, and he's the only way the Islanders are going to win a Stanley Cup. And the answer is no,
2: Speedy. I don't think it's the end-all, be-all because of the way they've built their team. Now, definitely shocking. I agree with you. I think there's something that we don't know about that has not been revealed yet of Barry Trotz's decision. I think it could be something off the ice, maybe a different city. But Lou Amorello, he's too smart to just impulsively fire a coach like Barry Trotz just on a down season where they had all those issues, that the distance traveled with the COVID, all that stuff. I think there is something more behind the scenes. Scenes. The Islanders, the one thing they really need is team speed. I don't know if that's something you could just find in another coach like Barry Trotz. Maybe Peter Laviolette mm-hmm. if Washington does end up parting ways with him. But if Could Washington, happen. Otherwise, yeah, maybe a younger coach. That's
1: where I think they're going to go. They're going to go with a younger coach. I think they're going to go with a guy that has been in this league, actually has some kind of affiliation with a guy like Lou Lamorello, maybe one of his old players. I've mentioned Scott Niedermeyer, a guy that I think is a very smart guy, has been a successful Hall of fame player i could see lula Morello bringing in a guy that never coached ever he only just retired recently
2: what about a guy like patrick elias yeah
1: absolutely i could see him bringing a band of ex-devils to come in and help rebuild a team that has had very good success under barry trotz but again the islanders are really considerably young with some of their young stars wallstrom is young barzell is young dobson he's young Aho is young. Pelik is still fairly young, 26 years old. Pulak, 26, 27 years old. These are all veteran but young players that you can win. For the next couple of years. And consistency is what Lou wants to see. And yes. They went to back to back Eastern Conference Championship games. But again. They didn't get over the hump. And it wasn't enough. And I think Lou wants to find somebody. That's going to get them into that Stanley Cup game. Where they're going to be able to compete against the best. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know if you're an Islander fan today. And saying that we as an organization. Are better off without Barry Trotz. I would say no. But again. You cannot. Go against Lou Lamorello and what he has done as a president
2: and as a GM in the NHL. The way of thinking could be changing is maybe Barry Trotz was instilling enough in that defense where they could trust him on their own, not to be necessarily consistently number one, but at least be top 10 or even above average with an offensive coach that could help that side of the puck too. The press has interviewed Doug Waite, and Doug Waite pretty much said, if Lou is firing
1: you, especially the way he fired Barry Trotz, there has to be more in-depth of something that happened within the team. He wouldn't just fire you out of the blue. So I don't think we'll ever know why Lou decided to part ways with Barry Trotz until he's ready to talk about it, and it might not be for a very, very long time. It might never happen. Maybe Lou promised Barry that he will not tell anybody on why he's firing him so he can find himself another job. Who knows what's going on with the Islanders organization, but the Islanders are going another route. Where they go, we'll probably find out as the playoffs continue moving forward. As far as the NHL lottery draft, the Devils are in the top five again. It doesn't make any sense, but it looks like the NHL just wants to keep letting the rich get richer, as they got Jack Hughes a couple of years ago as the number one pick. A couple of years before that, they were the sure. number one pick too, yeah, right? Yeah, 2017. And now they have the number two pick in the draft, where this draft is not as talented as all the other drafts we've just talked about, but there are six really dominant players in this year's draft, so the Devils are going to have their pick besides the number one pick, where they can get a very good, very talented player to this roster that's really loaded with some young talent.
2: They, they need Lou Lamorello to save him. They've only made one playoff appearance amidst all that. Well, that's because of their coach, who is absolutely horrible. Well, they've gone through all horrible coaches, and it just <laughs> doesn't work for them.
1: As far as the Islanders are concerned, they landed where they were supposed to be drafting, and that's number 13. Where Lou decides to go at 13, they could use that as a trade piece to add another superstar player to come and play with Barzell. Who knows what Lou is going to do. Right now, if the season were to end, the Islanders would have 13 million dollars to spend if they trade Valam and they get rid of maybe one or two contracts they might have a little bit more than that they still have to give Noah Dobson an extension this offseason they're going to have to re-sign Aho, who's probably going to want 3 million, 4 million a year. Dobson's a young talented young player where I believe he's going to get himself at least 5 million a year so all in all I think the Islanders will have between 8 and 9 million dollars to spend in the offseason where they can add another piece the question is where do they go when it comes to that piece. So it's going to be a very interesting off season As far as the NHL playoffs... The New York Rangers really started this series with the Penguins really, really slow. And they haven't been scoring goals in this series against a third-string goalie. And Shusterkin has not been good. A Hart Trophy finalist, a Venzian Trophy finalist as the best goalie in the NHL. He is one of the reasons why the Rangers are here in the playoffs. But what he has done so far in the playoffs has showed me that he is not a pressured type of goalie. Now, I know it's early in his career. This is his first time in the playoffs. But I can name a lot of goaltenders that... First time in the playoffs that did a lot better than a guy like Igor Shosturkin. I don't know if you can judge him because of one series. Now, if the Rangers somehow win game seven and knock off the Pittsburgh Penguins, which would be a great comeback, being down 3-1. to one. It's sensational comeback, but that has a lot to do with when they're playing against a backup goalie who has been horrible. And that fourth deciding goal in game number six was horrible. If I were the Pittsburgh Penguins for game number seven, I don't care how unhealthy Jari is, you put him in that game. You cannot trust in a third-string goalie. Now, Jari, is he that much better than Domingue? Probably not, but I would trust in a guy that has done it really all season long than a guy that really has been a filling goaltender as a third-string goalie. But the Rangers tied. It's going to the seventh game of the series.
2: Yeah, Shesterkin has not looked his best. He hasn't made a lot of those spectacular, tough saves that we've seen him do throughout the regular season. He had had a couple soft goals, usually one or two a game. He's been pulled in two games. when he's looked off. And that's a big problem for a Rangers team that needs that kind of goaltending to step up in order to make a difference as a young team all around. And I also think the games in Pittsburgh, the offensive game planning was really flawed. I think they were taking... Ming for granted, it's nothing special, but they were shooting at bad angles, they were shooting kind of impulsively, and that did not help. We know in any sport, if you have bad offense, it'll lead to bad defense. If your defense is on the field for 45 minutes in football, it'll get worn out. In basketball, if you turn the ball over a ton, you get all these fast break points against you. Same kind of thing in hockey, and you're seeing that. The Penguins were possessing the puck forever. Now, the Rangers have made some adjustments. Game 5, they looked a lot better offensively. Now, granted, the Crosby injury might have something to do with it. it had were, nothing to do with it. But they were winning more face-offs. I think that did end up helping, and then same thing in Game 6, too.
1: You and all the other Ranger fans gave up on your team early in this series. Every Ranger fan said, after it went 3-1, to the series is over. When I said, there's no way this series is over because you have a third-string goalie who looks horrible in some aspects of the game. The fact that the Rangers lost three games in this series is pretty remarkable. Now they're going into a Game 7. A lot of people would pick the Rangers to win this game. Now, if Jari plays, I would give maybe a little advantage with the Penguins, but Being that the Rangers have the home crowd, I think Ranger fans should be very excited. I don't think it's going to be exciting if you have to play the Bruins or you have to play the Carolina Hurricanes. If the Rangers win this series and come back, I think it's a successful season. Because they're going to be playing two really strong teams like the Carolina Hurricanes and the Boston Bruins. Now, they're going to a Game 7-2. The Hurricanes have played well. All the home teams have won. And now they're going back to Carolina. When you look at the Eastern Conference, I expected the Rangers to win. I expect the Hurricanes to win their series. But out of all this series in the Eastern Conference, I thought the Bruins in the Hurricanes was gonna be the more exciting series because I really think the Bruins could beat
2: anybody. Their question too was a lot of the goaltending because they had two young goalies all at once with pretty similar stat lines to and pretty similar levels of experience. And you could definitely tell the takeover with Swayman has been a lot better where the team has played better around him for the Bruins. The Defense has been a lot better throughout. Their defensive depth was a big question mark coming in. And also, they're getting goal scoring from outside the guys on their top line. But also, their top line guys are dominating, kind of like you saw with the Penguins as well. So, they have the definitely the veteran experience advantage with the Hurricanes having the pressure. But the Hurricanes have the home ice and the much more talents. And as far as the Western
1: Conference is concerned, Avalanche-St. Louis, that's going to be a fun series to watch. I'm not surprised that the Avalanche and the Blues... Are moving on. I thought the Blues were the better team in their series against Minnesota, and obviously the Avalanche have been the most talented team throughout this season. Even though the Panthers had the best record throughout the league, I think the Avalanche has the most talent out of all the teams in the playoffs. I expect Calgary to beat Dallas, even though this series is very.
2: This is the low scoring neck, series. Yeah, <laughs>
1: it's neck and neck, that series. I think the Flames will win that series. I think they're very fast, they're very talented, very young. You look at Kachuk, you look at Goudreau. This is a good offensive team that has great all-around talent throughout defense and offense. And as far as the Oilers series, I expect the Oilers to win because if they get knocked off by the L.A. Kings, a team that shouldn't have made the playoffs, nobody thought they were going to make the playoffs. They're a rebuilding team. If they lose against them, I think you're going to have to decide what you're doing in the offseason. Either trade, dry sidle, or somebody to really get this team back in order because this team has been too talented to be knocked out early in the playoffs we've seen year after year after year.
2: I'm annoyed at myself because I actually had the Blues as the West final pick at the start of the season to go to the Stanley Cup, and then I deviated from it. And I really liked the way Minnesota played this year. I thought Minnesota was going to have a little bit of a letdown, and I picked them, and the Blues show why their playoff adversity, their toughness really showed They showing, can beat the Avalanche. I think they will, too, because their defense has really shown a lot. I thought a lot of the losses they had to trade away guys after their Cup team, including their captain, in Petrangelo, who's now with Vegas, I thought that would hurt them. It seemed like throughout the year they were allowing a lot of like 7-5 games I was seeing a lot of them so I didn't trust them against a team as offensively deep as Minnesota but they really rallied back they were down 2-1 to one in that series and fought back I think they could definitely beat them because Colorado's sitting for a while so that tends to hurt teams in the Stanley Cup playoffs that's usually a good thing for basketball not as much for hockey and the Avalanche that's been their trouble in the second round as far as the Flames and the Stars I had Dallas in the upset initially uh, the Flames are very talented too if they do beat Dallas and they go advance I think they could make a deep deep run here's sure. my prediction in the Eastern Conference. I think the Maple Leafs knock off the Lightning. Ooh. Spicy upset. There you go.
1: I want to see the Bruins knock off the Hurricanes, but I, I still think the Hurricanes are too talented to yeah, be knocked off. Yeah, I got Carolina. Off. I got Carolina, and I got the Rangers knocking off the Penguins.
2: I think if Crosby doesn't come back, I'll take the Rangers. If Crosby does, I'll take the Penguins.
1: I don't think Crosby's coming back. Calgary knocking off Dallas, and Oilers knocking off the L.A. can
2: I, I got to stick with the upset with Dallas. I went with it. I'll go with the Oilers, though, too.
1: There you guys go. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, NBA playoff conversation. I would say Chris Paul's in a lot of trouble. And this Phoenix Sun team, where they never expected to go to a Game 7 against the Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic. I think Chris Paul has annoyed the crowd and annoyed the Dallas Mavericks, and that's why they're going to a Game 7. Philadelphia gets knocked off. Not surprised. Thank you, James Harden. And all the rest of the playoff series that are still going on, we will get into that when we come back here on The Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy PD Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We just got into the NHL playoffs, and now the NBA playoffs. The NBA playoffs are so very interesting, and I know a lot of people want to see Golden State against Phoenix. I expected Memphis to give a little bit more... Of a push in that series. Losing John Moran could be out for the rest of that series. Thank you, Jordan Poole, for ruining any consistency of that Memphis Grizzlies team. But I know Jordan Poole has claimed that he didn't do it intentionally. That didn't look
2: like a cheap shot. I don't think he so. He grabbed his
1: knee. Yeah, he was going for the ball, though.
2: He wasn't. I don't think he was doing anything. He grabbed wrong.
1: his knee, man. How, how do you go for the ball and grab a knee? Come on. It's a tough, tough angle. <laughs> You're a professional basketball player. You're going to tell me you didn't try to grab his knee to hurt him.
2: It didn't look like it to me. Oh, uh, well, if
1: well, it was Draymond
2: Green, I could understand. But Jordan Poole, I didn't see him. Well, like maybe you learned
1: from Draymond Green. How's that sound? <laughs> Who knows? We'll go into the Western Conference first because it seems uh, more interesting. And right now, Phoenix is tied 3-3 to against a Dallas Mavericks team that nobody thought should be there. Now, Utah was the expected team to come out of that series with the talent that they have, the Donovan Mitchells of the world, the defensive style of game that the Utah Jazz play. They couldn't get over the hump with Dallas. Luka Doncic showed why he's one of the biggest superstars in the NBA. And this series, everybody thought Phoenix was going to breeze right through this series. Not the case. Now, Devin Booker has played in this series. I don't want to hear any excuses if Phoenix gets knocked out by the Dallas Mavericks. Devin Booker has played, and he's played well. The problem with this series is is Dallas' bench has outplayed arguably one of the best benches in the NBA and that's the surprise in this series.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I wasn't crazy about Jason Kidd as a coach coming into this. No, I wasn't either. He's actually coached very well too. I think the rotations for Dallas has been very good. They're keeping Phoenix's defense guessing as well. And also their size inside has played well inside. Guys like Dorian Finney-Smith and Max Kleber giving some depth and some defense. It was an improved defense for Dallas this year, but still wasn't as as a strength of the team.
1: And Chris Paul is going to have to really jot down what he is as a player in the playoffs because, yes, he went to the championship last year, but came up short. A lot of people thought with the talent that they had this year, another season together with the talent that they had, even a better team than they were last year with the acquisitions they made throughout the trade deadline and and the offseason, that they were going to be uh, bound championship team this year. Doesn't look like it right now, but if Dallas surprises the world and knocks off Phoenix, I- I'd be very surprised to see Dallas in the Western Conference Finals, but that's what it shows. By the way, they have a new coach, too. It's not Rick Carlisle right. running this team anymore. New coach, new style. Very impressed with Dallas has done this year with Jason Kidd, but I still think Phoenix is going to come strong being that they're playing at home. They're one of the best home teams in the NBA and one of the best third quarter teams in the NBA at home, so I expect them to show up.
2: I just want to th- this out there. Not because it's the same circumstances, but when Dallas won their championship,
1: they were a four-seed.
2: Golden State and Memphis. Golden State's the better team. Now, Memphis is the number two
1: seed. I think losing John Morant really sets the tone of what's going to happen this series. I think it's destined to see Phoenix and the Golden State Warriors face off against one another to see who's going to have the chance to win a championship. Because I think whoever comes out of the Western Conference is going to win the whole thing. I think that's where the talent lies in the league. I think both teams have a tremendous amount of talent. I do believe Phoenix is the better team, but that's what I think all the NBA fans want to see, Speedy.
2: Yeah, I also think, too, you look at the leadership perspective, Golden State has that with their veterans. Phoenix has that. You kind of lose that with Memphis losing John Morant because they're mostly a younger team. They have a couple veteran guys that help, but it's still a lot of even their top-depth guys are all young all at once. I would probably give the edge to Golden State as well, but their depth for Memphis played well. They had seven eight guys to score in double figures in the game five. John Morant plays. They're up 3-2 in this series, I think. Think because those close games go their way. As far as the Eastern Conference is concerned,
1: I don't think anybody was surprised that Miami knocked off the Philadelphia
2: nope.
3: 76ers.
1: James Harden doesn't show up <laughs> in game number six. He showed up in game five, doesn't show up in game number six. And that's why I believe Philadelphia got knocked off by a Miami Heat team that has a tremendous amount of depth. With the acquisition of Victor Depot for the playoffs. It definitely has given him a little bit of a spark. Victor has not played well in the Philadelphia series, but I still think that Victor is a big piece. If Miami has a chance to knock off Milwaukee or Boston or even go into the NBA championship where they're going to have to face off Phoenix or Golden State or maybe even Dallas, who knows? They're going to need Victor Depot. and I think Miami getting a rest, does it help them? In basketball, I think rest does hurt you. Miami is also coming off with significant injuries from Jimmy Butler and Victor Depot. so I think all the time that they need to get healthy would be very important. I'm not surprised Miami is heading to the Eastern Conference Finals. As far as Milwaukee and Boston, this is going to a Game 7. Milwaukee going back to Boston, that's a lot of pressure. No Chris Middleton. It definitely has affected them in this series offensively, and I do believe that the refs have been on Milwaukee's side throughout this series. Now, If anybody could do it, it's the Greek freak. It's Giannis and his team. Get over the hump and knock off Boston in Boston. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Boston has been destined... To play Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals I think a lot of people would love to see the one and the two Play against one another Where I thought Phoenix and Golden State would be The best Western Conference Finals Series, and I think Miami and Boston Speedy would be the best Eastern Conference Series
2: Yeah, that would be a defensive juggernaut, but also a death juggernaut Too, if those two teams were to face off Eric Spolster is probably the best defensive Mind in terms of coaches in the NBA And the Celtics with Adoka, the way they could play Defense too, and if that matchup does End up happening, it'll be also a rematch from two years ago in the bubble so they have a little bit of bad blood going for them fiery guys with Marcus Smart and Jimmy Butler going at it too by the way I love what Jimmy Butler before he went to the locker room said to the Sixers y'all trade Tobias for me or something like that which was pretty funny no love lost in Philly for Jimmy Butler but yeah that'll be definitely an interesting series I think going back to what you were saying about the rest factor of the NBA I think Miami's the one team that might be not phased by it because they play so differently every game it's always a different star coming through one of their three veteran guys you mentioned Oladipo was kind of up and down so is Jimmy Butler Jimmy Butler goes off then Oladipo will do it the next game it's really the depth and the system really for Miami whereas the Celtics if one of their stars is off we haven't seen them overcome that yet so I think that kind of advantage will still go to Miami and then if Milwaukee does end up advancing in the game seven Giannis is the best player he hasn't had a bad game yet so that doesn't really phase them no matter what circumstances he's in (laughs) I haven't seen Milwaukee
1: lose back-to-back games in this series so a lot of people would say there's a sign there i don't i think boston will be the team that's going to knock them off i predict it's boston and miami and i predict it's phoenix and golden state moving forward in the eastern and western conference finals but it's been a sensational playoff right now watching the nba as well as hockey when we come back the return of money line mania with Chaz and the crew here on the weekend crunch <laughs> We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is The Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN. Or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It has been a great show. And as we do this every week, we've skipped a couple of weeks, but we have them on again, brought to you by Sports Betting Weekly, as we call this segment Money Line Mania.
0: This is Money Line Mania, Witches and the Crew.
1: They are back, ladies and gentlemen. And why not their leader, Chaz, and his boy toy. Just kidding, boy toy. But his friend. He
2: wishes.
0: <laughs> Hector, what's going on, guys? The Hector swiped me the wrong way one time. <laughs> no I forget what app we were on, but he he swiped no on me. I was so
1: hurt. <laughs> he wishes. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love you guys. You guys are awesome. And if you guys are handicappers, if you guys are betting guys or betting ladies, you have to listen to this segment. No MSG betting show from our guy, Eric Coleman. I'm not taking shots at Eric Coleman. He was my co-host on this show. Nobody knows more about betting and money line than Chaz and his boys. What is up, my friends?
0: I owe everybody an apology because I did not give out Rich Strike to win the Kentucky Derby. My horse, though, coming from home, looked like the best horse. And I thought I was not only going to cash the win bet, but I was going to hit the exact and maybe the trifecta, all for naught. But right now, I went online and I Googled, there's 409 people named Richard Strike in America. And if they didn't all have money on that horse,
1: they deserve
0: (laughs) to be losers.
1: An 80-1 to underdog won the Kentucky Derby. If you were betting... ...on him, and you put $800 on him, you would have won $8,000. If you put $8,000 on him, you would have won, what, $80,000?
0: Eight times eight is going to be 64. No matter what number you bet, whether it was $8 or $80 or $800... You're going to have 64 as the number because he was 80 to 1. I was at Del Mar with some friends. We're in the paddock. It's gorgeous. I was sitting there with my hands on my head. My fingers were intertwined above your head so they stay above your head. My mouth, my jaw was open wide. We don't get bugs in San Diego, right, Hector? Especially at the water because the ocean breeze is so good. But if I was inland, Hector, I would have bugs in my mouth.
1: What is it with the Kentucky Derby? As far as the movie stars are concerned, the musicians that are there, the ex-basketball players, Tom Brady was there, Michael Jordan was there, Donald Trump was there. What is it with the Kentucky Derby? Out of all the races, everybody wants to go to this particular race. I've never been there. I have to go there now because I've been to the Belmont. I've been there for a Triple Crown. I had the opportunity to interview the jockey that won the Triple Crown. I didn't get to interview the horse, but if oh, I could try, oh. if I could, I was standing right next to him. <laughs> you guys ever been to the Kentucky Derby?
0: I don't like people. We go every year to the Coliseum for a USC game, and then we go to the Rose Bowl for a UCLA game because on the first weekend in college football, both of those teams usually host some schmuck team that they're going to whack by twenty, and so we do two. <laughs> (laughs) games in one day and i don't like people the derby had a hundred and fifty thousand people
4: yep
1: I've watched racing my whole life, all the big races, the Triple Crown, and I've been to the Belmont now twice. And the people over there, the outfits that they wear, the hats that they wear, I'm going to probably go to the Belmont this year. I know if it's a beautiful day, that place is packed. They usually have a band. Last year I think it was Flowrider. It's ridiculous. The people that go there, man, they don't even know what horse racing is. Half of the time, it's just to show off their new hat, show off their new dress, or show off their new thong that they're wearing or something.
0: They have officially licensed Kentucky Derby Thongs? items that you can buy. Oh, maybe a thong. The thong, it's probably three ounces maybe of material. The thong was $39.95 online. <laughs> My the self- Kentucky Derby thong. Can I get a mail thong? <laughs> How much is shipping going to be? They'll charge you $20 for shipping. Unless you go on that Amazon and get it on Prime. <laughs> All right, boys.
2: All right, Chaz, we're going to start with some of your plays. You said you had some NHL and NBA
0: playoffs. As the playoffs wind down, some teams are sitting around waiting to go and others teams are playing in a game seven but i gotta tell you uh, an nhl sports betting story i had over six and a half in the toronto tampa bay game Mm. and it went to overtime and i realized if they could get the feeling of having a ticket that says over six and a half in an nhl playoff game that's tied at three it doesn't matter how many overtimes you're going to win that bet and they could put that into a pill. And you could take that pill? What a high it was. I don't know if you saw, they went long into the first overtime. And the whole time, it didn't matter whoever scored I was going to win. It was really, really cool. So thank you, NHL playoffs. Because there's no shootout in the playoffs. Nope. Shootouts are different when you're sports betting. Shootouts don't count for that point for the total. But yeah, so Saturday night, there is the Kings at Edmonton. Now, I actually started pulling the data for the NBA and the NHL playoffs right before the Derby. So I've got a couple weeks of data in. I've done really, really well. I actually hit two different four teamers this week. And actor, that's hard, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. The odds are supposed to be like 18 to 1. They pay you 12 to 1. But that's a whole other story with the house. So when I look at their overall record, and then I look at their home or away record. The Kings are at Edmonton. So so with the Kings, in their last five, they've allowed three plus on the road. Overall, they're bouncy. I don't think in the sports betting 101 dictionary, you're going to see Bouncy. When I say bouncy, that means sometimes they win, sometimes they lose, sometimes they score, sometimes they don't. I'll usually not bet games that have teams that do that because you don't know what you're going to get. Sometimes, yes, you can get the consistency in the bounce. I remember there was one year the team was three and three against the spread in week seven in the NFL. But if you knew that you bet them at home, or you bet against them at home, and you bet them away, whatever they were three and zero against the spread in both their home and away games, so they were zero and six against the spread, but three and zero at home. I always want to know where they're playing and how they play there. So when I go to Edmonton at home, overall they have scored three plus and six and six. So when I see that, I start to get excited. I see a team, okay, they're scoring three more, and the Kings are giving up three or more. They ain't gonna take rocket science to see where I'm headed here. That was Edmonton home. Listen to these numbers overall for Edmonton. In their last eight of nine, they've scored three or more. Most hockey games, you're going to win if you score three or more. So it's about an
2: average, I would say. Not in these Yeah, playoffs. but those.
0: you don't score three, you're not winning. In their last four out of five, scored four or more. I've got Edmonton scoring goals Edmonton minus 196, and it's at 6.5. So I'm going to bet them to win the game. I'm going to bet them to win by 1.5. But more importantly, I'm going to bet their team total. I had this happen. The Dodgers lost 9-7 to seven to Philly. But when they were down 4 to nothing, I bet them big. And all I needed them to do was get their team total for me, and I would win. Say the over-under is 3.5. It's a 3-3 going into the third. If you've got Edmonton, you're a little nervous but as long as they score that fourth goal it gives you money that gets your money back you're only betting the game you really got to look in the mirror and, and wake up to reality guys
1: Edmonton in L.A., this has been a high-scoring series, and all the series have been high-scoring. You would expect goaltending to be at its high going into the playoffs. It hasn't been. I absolutely believe this game is going to have five to six goals for both teams.
0: Was it the Ranger game that they scored, like, four goals in, like, a blink of an eye? Yes. yes. Every time they score, you add a little bit more. Not a full union, but a little more. So if you won 75 hours, you bet maybe 25 hours on the next one. Six so fast, half. I couldn't get the bet in. They <laughs> scored that
1: quickly. This particular series, the the L.A. Kings and the Edmonton Oilers. Who would have thought that the L.A. Kings would be challenging the Edmonton Oilers? Played very well defensively. Goaltending by Jonathan Quick has been fantastic. I expect Edmonton to win in Game 7.
0: gambling yeah, that's how it works. Hector, sometimes we're wrong, and when we're wrong, they keep the money. What about Hector?
4: i got a couple soccer plays there for sunday i'm gonna throw a curveball at you guys the nwsl the national Women's soccer league one up in new york city gotham fc actually just played the team that i'm gonna pick for this week san diego wave didn't go too well for them last week gotham fc gave up four goals all of them to alex morgan one of the three times in history that a player in the nwsl has scored four goals and they're gonna be playing at home this sunday against chicago red stars chicago red stars made it to the nwsl final last season and lost in the final to washington spirit in the close one but san diego's been tearing it up they haven't Giving up a goal in the first two games of the season. I think they're going to keep the ball going. I live like two miles from Torero Stadium. They can hear the fans at night. I don't even have to turn on the TV to see if they're scoring or not. So I think they're going to win at home against Chicago Red Stars. They're going to go undefeated for the first three games of their inaugural NWFL season. And I'm liking them to win uh, two to nothing another shutout. Who's offering lines on that? Offshore. Obama? Caliente does it too. Yeah, well, of course. Because you have to kind of be
0: in Mexico to get that program. But Caliente really does a great job with soccer.
4: And then the second one I got going on is USL. A lot of eyes are going to be on this one because it was supposed to be the final for 2020, but it got canceled because of COVID. Phoenix Rising had won the Western Conference and Tampa Bay Rowdies had won the Eastern Conference. It's going to be at Phoenix. And I don't think either team is doing well this season. Tampa Bay just lost to San Diego Loyal at Tampa Bay. And Phoenix Rising hasn't had a good season. They just got bounced out of the US Open Cup to Sacramento. It's going to be one of those games that they want to get back to dominating their own conferences. There's still plenty of games left, but they're still kind of in the middle of the table, both of them in their respective conferences. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be for bragging rights, obviously, because of what I said about the final a couple years ago. But I think this time it'll be Tampa Bay that shows Phoenix Rising that if they would have played the final that year, they would have beat them. So I think they beat them on the road, get some vengeance, and Tampa Bay wins this one in the close one, 2-1.
1: There is a game that I want to look at on Sunday. It's the Phoenix Suns. And the Dallas Mavericks. It's tied three to three. Dallas has been unbelievable. Luka Doncic has been as good as anybody would expect. But going into this game, you're going into Phoenix. Phoenix has been really dominant at home all season long. What Devin Booker has done every home game throughout the playoffs before he got hurt, he was averaging between 28 and 30 points. I expect him to do the same in this game. The books are saying that 27 and a half or under. I think he's going to have over 30 points in this game. And also Chris Paul. I expect Chris Paul to have a sensational game offensively. I expect him to score over 25 points. I do believe Phoenix will win game number seven, being that they're home. They're one of the best home teams in all of basketball. So give me the Phoenix Suns, game number seven, Sunday afternoon. This number is so wild
0: that my wife, Vicki, who doesn't give a crap about anything when it comes to sports. She likes football, but everything else, forget about it. She says, oh, my God, really? Dallas, lost by 30, and the next game won by 27. That's a 57-point turnaround in NBA playoffs. Oh, my God, that's crazy, isn't it? The spread is six.
1: I think it's going to be a lot closer than that. There will be a chance that Dallas will have a chance to win this game early in the fourth quarter. I expect one of the big names on the Dallas Mavericks, one of these guys are going to foul out, especially the way Chris Paul likes to drive to the hole and draw fouls. I expect Dallas to be in this game all the way to the end. I think that there could be a good chance that the way Phoenix wins is by free throw shots. I see Dallas losing this game by no more than six points. If there's only one
2: flaw in Luka's game, is free throw shooting is like league average
0: Dallas overall in their last nine games is two and seven two over seven under Phoenix, on the other hand, has gone under in four straight games and is 1-3 against the spread. But what do you know about Phoenix and Golden State? They're probably given two or three points more than they really should. The reason they are is because the people will bet it. So the house says, why would I give them four when I can give them six? Here's where it gets dicey. On the road, in their last three, these are all against Phoenix. They're 0-3 against the spread. But a key fact that really comes from our easy sports data is in three straight games, Dallas has scored less points on the road in every single game. You beat me three straight in Phoenix, and every time I scored less than the last time, gotta think you got the winner there.
1: Yeah, I think Phoenix will win this game. It'll be very surprising if Dallas pulls this out because nobody would have thought that Dallas was going to go to Western Conference Finals. Everybody is expecting Golden State versus Phoenix, and whoever comes out of the West, I believe, is going to win the whole thing. But I just have this feeling that Phoenix is going to deliver. Devin Booker has been playing hurt really throughout this series. It's been unbelievable. He's been the best player on the court besides Chris Paul. I expect that you'll see Devin Booker show up in this game and score more than 30 points in this game, maybe even see a 40 slot. So if you're going to bet on somebody to score over... His total points, it's Devin Booker. I think Devin Booker has been sensational at home. I think he's one of the best shooters we've seen in the NBA in the last six years. I expect him to show up in this game and really take over offensively in this game for the Phoenix Suns. Here's my
0: play. If you can get 107 or less for team total for the Phoenix Suns, you should bet it. Thank me next week. And if it's 107 or less, you bet the over. I would bet the under in
1: this game. (laughs) I think the game won't pick up offensively until the second half of the game. Dallas has never been in a situation like this where you're in a game seven, you have a chance to go to Western Conference Finals. And Luka Doncic, this is really his first playoff run. He won his first series this year. I expect Luka Doncic to really show up in this game, but I don't expect his points to total out until the second half of the game. I think this game will be very, very close going into the second half, the third quarter. I expect Phoenix to really have a great third quarter. So if you want a quarter where Phoenix is going to outscore the Dallas Mavericks by at least 10 to 15 points, it would be the third quarter. They're one of the best third quarter teams in the NBA.
0: Playoffs are different. They're better. They're crazy. But look at this year. I mean, a 57 point swing. Got to be some kind of record. If
4: Phoenix doesn't win this year or they get bounced early, they're going to blow up that team. They had their chances with these guys.
1: I would say that because they have to pay DeAndre Ayton. And DeAndre Ayton's going to want a lot of money in the offseason. And I don't know if Phoenix is going to do that, especially given Chris Paul what they gave him. Devin Booker's going to be, even though he's still under contract, he's probably going to want it extended, especially the way he's played this season. Now, I don't know if Phoenix is going to do that. But I've been hearing through the grapevine that Devin Booker, before Chris Paul went over there, he wanted to be traded. You're looking at this team where they can't get over the hump. They went to the championship last year, they lose against the Milwaukee Bucks, and now this year they're going to fall short to get into the Western Conference Finals. I would say if they make the championship this year, they'll keep the team together and try to win again. Much of
2: their players or bench players are on their rookie contracts. The last year is the following year.
1: So I would expect them to play one more year and see if they can win it. Next year, they'll be even more under pressure. This is their year. They've been the best team in the nba this is one of the best nba records we've seen a team have really since the Golden State Warriors did it. This is as good a team as any team in the NBA to win. Now, I think they're a very well-built defensive machine. I think they haven't played very good defensively in this series. They've let Dallas and they let Luka Doncic do whatever he wanted in the fourth quarter. If you let Luka Doncic do what he's done in the second half that he's done in this series, they are not going to win this game. They have to shut down Luka. If they shut down Luka, they win this game over 107. I don't know if it's going to be like that. I think it'll be a lot closer than people think. I expect the bench of the Phoenix Suns to really take over in the second half.
0: Yeah, and that's the beauty of betting team total. It really changes how you watch the game. If it gets down to the end, you don't really care. You're rooting for fouls. Go for it. The last 45 seconds of an NBA game can take a week and a half, it seems like, sometimes. But I agree with what Hector said. You got to think they gave Chris Paul a lot of money, but at some point in time, he's going to go do insurance. Devin Booker is
1: going to score.
0: So if you want to bet on any player
1: to score over his points total, it's Devin Booker. Book it. I guarantee <laughs> nice. it. Book it. You, wanna, you can take that to the bank. He is going to score over 27.5 points.
0: When are we going to get a Moneyline Media sponsor from Travelocity? Book it segment would
1: work perfectly for them. You could take that to the bank. That's all I'm going to say about that. Booker will score over 30 in that game. That's a guarantee.
0: Hey, Speedy, you got the database of movie lines. Wasn't Errol just quoting Forrest Gump? That's all I have to say about that. That's all yep. I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, without
2: the Alabama southern accent, yes. you got yeah, it. Exactly.
0: Your guy's accent couldn't get farther.
1: You know, what, from- you know what movie I want to check out this summer? The Elvis Presley movie. It looks really
0: good. Well, we actually spent an anniversary at Graceland once. Yes. So my wife's a big Elvis fan. It's so funny when you see the Elvis impersonators from other countries that don't really speak English, <laughs> but they can sing Elvis songs in English. It's so Bizarre.
4: They knock it That's out of funny. the park, dude. They sure. do. I also We're
0: walking around the lobby of as hotels go. Graceland is just nothing special. As wild places to spend a few days, and we were there almost a week. Graceland's a really trippy place, man. It really is.
1: The one movie I can't wait till it comes out, I've heard a bunch of people seen the movie already, is the Maverick movie. The Top Gun movie. Yeah, that got filmed here.
0: Hector, didn't you get some side
4: jobs working there? Oh, uh, yeah. I couldn't make it say we're filming up in Oceanside, so it's mm. too far for me. But mm. yeah, I saw Tom Cruise promoting it on the local news and stuff. It was all over. It.
1: i seen a lot of NFL network guys had the opportunity to go and watch the sneak peek, yeah. Yeah. and they yeah. said it's everything that they expected it to be for a prequel after 35 years.
0: They did the premiere on the USS Midway Museum here in San Diego. I was on that same exact deck one year for the minor league all star game. They had an all star game, home run derby, on the deck of an aircraft carrier, and it was the coolest thing, sports related, I have ever been to in my life. There were chicks out there in bikinis in the boats, and like in San Francisco, McCovey's Cove. So we're in San Diego, it's in the Summer, they're in the bikinis, and these are 19-year-old studs from Padres minor league. I just today on social media mentioned that in my house, if we're bouncing through Spectrum and we come upon that movie Top Gun, and it's anywhere near the scene where they're at the cocktail party by the pool, and it's just they're about to get their orders to go to that ship, we stop what we're doing and we watch it, cause that last dogfight scene is one of the most coolest things in the history of cinema.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to that movie. I grew up a Top Gun fan. I'm not a big Tom Cruise fan, but as a kid, loved those movies, and I loved Kenny Loggins. love his music. I'm looking forward to it, and everybody that has seen the movie says it's a must-go and see.
0: You could say what you want, but you know you're swiping right on Tom Cruise if he pops up on any of your apps. <laughs> that's, that's true.
1: I'd be a millionaire if Tom Cruise shows up on my app. That's true. <laughs> we really appreciate you going out there and giving us your timing and giving us your information so fans out there, can actually make some money.
0: We consider what we do, what we do, and we want to be good at it. Well, you guys are one of yes. the things that we talk about all the time in our sports betting lesson segment. Which, nice plug here, will be part of the wake and bake program coming forward. That starts actually next week. Hector and I, we have a date to talk next week on oh. a soccer talk with <laughs> Hector. I don't have a tattoo for that one yet. That's how I remember. I get tattoos, I remember all the names of our shows. I,
1: you know, it's, it's funny you said tattoo. My friend just showed me that he's getting a nice big tattoo on his forearm. He's got me thinking to go. Go and get a full sleeve and finish in my sleeve. I don't know. Do How could you
0: fit anything more on there?
4: Yeah. I got <laughs> oh, nothing. There you go. I got, you got the top of my. You're
1: Samoan
0: on us. Ah, stop it. <laughs> I
1: wouldn't do it to both of my arms. I would just do it to one of my
0: arms. Once you make the decision, your handicapping tells you that's the play. The game just begins. Then you look at Hector's two plays this weekend. I'm watching those soccer games and I'm clicking buttons throughout the game and what I'm hoping for is maybe a low scoring game and all of a sudden boom 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 you get three goals in a row it happens all the time in soccer somewhere in that 60 to 80th minute and that third goal can get you like plus 420. One thing happening is better than a two teamer that's why Bet live is really the way you cover that's your ass when you're a handicapper.
1: Well we really appreciate you guys we'll talk to you next week tell Wes we miss him.
0: We will always be cashers. Thank you guys.
1: Money love. Mania, Chaz, and his friend and his boy, Hector, as they always do what they do, and that's give you winners. When we come back, we'll be talking to NFL Draft Bible Assistant Scouting Director and writer, Jack Borowski, here on The Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co host, Speedy PD. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern time. Ali! On 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app, go on to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We had this guy on a couple of months ago on the Sports Loudmouth, and we have him on again for the weekend Crunch. We are now talking to NFL Draft Bible Assistant, Scouting Director for Sports Illustrated. We are now talking to the writer and greatness of Jack Borowski. Jackie boy, what's going on, buddy?
3: Thanks for having me on, guys.
1: We are good, man, and the draft is over, and you said this was a weak draft. I told you I begged to differ when we talked months ago. What did you think about the draft and how it fell, and who do you think was the winners of the first round.
3: I thought the draft, the class wasn't necessarily great. Obviously only one quarterback won the first round and that tends to drive it from a casual fan perspective and just the entertainment aspect of things. But you know, with the wide receiver position, I felt like it replaced quarterback this year with six in the first 18 picks. And then AJ Brown was traded as well. Marquise Brown, you had a lot of moving pieces with with the receiver position, which made it super entertaining for the first round. I wasn't necessarily in love with it, but there was a lot of questions. Will it be Walker or Hutchinson the first pick? Walker ended up going one, Stingley third threw everyone for a loop. I thought it was pretty entertaining. If you look at a winner from the first day of the draft, it had to be the Jets. You get three. Top tier players, you get a cornerback in my Gardner, who was one of my top prospects and then you followed up with Garrett Wilson who many felt was the top wide receiver. That's an A plus day two of the top four or five most valuable positions in the league and you get the best player in the draft at both. And then they followed it up with trading back in the first round to get Jermaine Johnson, who to me was arguably the most talented pass rusher in the draft. The the biggest questions surrounding him were character and his age being 23. But outside of that, he's a supremely talented player. And I think he comes in and could be an immediate impact player. So the Jets and then the Giants as well. Uh, I think both New York teams did a fantastic job on day one. Evan Neal, Kayvon Thibodeau. You just talk about star power, getting guys who were two of the best college football players the past three seasons. I thought the two of them, A-plus days overall. I thought the Jets continued day two. They got the best running back in the draft. You get four players. If you want to say Jermaine Johnson's the third best edge rusher, whatever it may be, fourth, but you get the best cornerback in the draft, the best receiver in the draft, the best running back in the draft. They really upgraded their roster. The Ravens, I thought, did an exceptional job with their day two picks, getting David Ajabo, pass rusher from Michigan, who I felt was a top 32 player and probably a top 20 pick if he didn't tear his Achilles. Taking him in the middle of the second round, if he doesn't pan out, they have enough talent within that organization that they can withstand a player like him if he busts. But then they followed up with Travis Jones as well in the third round, who I thought the D tackle from UConn could have been. A late first round pick, early second. He'll play 10 years in the league. Knowing the Ravens, we got Kyle Hamilton, Tyler Linderbaum. Kyle's a safety, Tyler's the center in the first round, both of which I think that they could be long term starters. So, you know, those were three teams that I was really impressed with and definitely helped their rosters.
2: So, you were talking about the run of the wide receivers happening all at once, and you kind of said it was like replacing the quarterbacks and classes that are weaker with quarterbacks. Can you see that kind of thing being more of a modern trend now with not only that, but also the receivers that are getting traded as quickly as they do because they don't do as with their second contracts as much?
3: Yeah, I think it's because it's them and quarterbacks. I compare it to other sports. You see star power in basketball and those guys get traded all the time. They get to dictate, hey, I want to be here. I want to be there. And teams are saying, all right, well, we got to do that because it's an individual sport. I think we're starting to see that with quarterbacks and receivers. We saw the quarterbacks get traded before the draft. and Players, Deshaun Watson, say, here's my list. Here's where I want to go. And I'm going to sign whatever contract I want. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, you know, all these guys dictating whatever they want. I saw that. I said, all right, the quarterback's position. And now because wide receivers, I think copycat league revisionist history, seeing what the Bengals were able to do, you have Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd and. They were basically comfortable with being able to compete in any game because you have three guys who can get open on any play. It didn't matter who else was around them. Burrow could find one of them. I think people realized we need top tier receivers. And then the receiver market just exploded as well because the free agent class wasn't overly impressive. And a lot of these marquee names wanted to leave their original destination. So you saw a lot of changes And the draft, and it was a good receiver class. I think if the quarterback class had more than just Kenny Pickett as a first round caliber player, I think we would have seen a similar thing to wide receiver. But I think those two positions, wide receiver, partly being a lot of these guys divas, they want what they want. They don't just fall in line like an offensive lineman is like, yeah, I'll just play in Detroit for 12 years and I'll make a lot of money and be fine with that. They want the quarterback. They want the marketing. They want everything. And so you're looking to change locations a lot and paying $25 million dollars. For a player, you know, some teams feel that they need to do that. The Eagles and the Titans, Titans in there, what are we going to do with A.J. Brown? A.J. Brown, vocal that, you know, he wants a deal done or he wants out. Titans couldn't afford to keep him, so the Eagles came in and basically said, A.J., we'll give you whatever you want because to get a premium wide receiver is so valuable, which the Bengals showed having three, you're able to make the Super Bowl with not the best roster in the league.
1: As everybody knows, we're talking to NFL draft Bible assistant scouting director and writer, Jack Borowski. Jack, a lot of people, including Pat McAfee, his draft board was very interesting Mostly everybody had an A plus. There was a couple of C pluses, and there was one F minus. And the one team that he gave an F minus was the Dallas Cowboys. And you go up and down their draft board. You you kind of shake your head. You wonder why they went with this. Why did they go in the second round the way they did? What were your thoughts when you heard that Smith was their number one pick? And where did you grade the Dallas Cowboys throughout the draft?
3: That's funny. I, I thought you would have said the Patriots because when they took Cole Strange in the first C-plus
1: they gave him. He gave him a C-plus.
3: Okay, so yeah, Uh, when they took Cole Strange in the first round from Chattanooga, it probably took me about 15 hours to process that, because I love Cole Strange. thought he would have been a great pick between like 60 and 75. It seemed go 29. I just couldn't process it. So I would have assumed people... You a Patriot fan? I used to be. Ah, thank you. to (laughs) be a Pats fan now because of my work, but it's really because Brady's not there, and so I don't understand half the things Belichick does. So partly that reason. Back with the Cowboys... I had a first round grade on Tyler Smith. I didn't think he was going to go that high, but dating back to the summer, I remember I wasn't watching Tulsa tape. I was watching Oklahoma State film, and they played Tulsa week one when Tyler was a redshirt freshman. Tyler played left tackle, and he was destroying everyone. I noticed this 56 kid was just pummeling every defender. So I looked him up, saw he was going to be a redshirt sophomore, 6'5", 330 pounds, and said, all right, let me put on his film. And I said to myself, this kid's a first round caliber player, and he was one of my favorite guys in in the class really? for forever. Yeah, yeah. I was the number one fan for Tyler Smith wow. for a very long time. So. Interesting. You'll uh, make a lot of
1: Cowboy there. fans happy. A lot of Cowboy fans were about to jump off a bridge when they heard Tyler Smith's name get called. Serious, we have a bunch of Cowboy fans that are like, Tyler Smith? We could have got Jermaine Johnson, those idiots. Okay.
2: <laughs> Except one of our Cowboys fans also said he would have rather Josh Xavier McKinney over CeeDee Lamb, too, <laughs> too
3: <much. laughs> With Tyler, no, it's not the conventional pick. Where did he play? Tulsa? He's a young guy. I I think because I've watched two years of his film now, I've probably watched 10 to 12 of his games. What I did notice, and if you go back to his retro freshman film, I honestly thought it was better. This kid, to me, after watching his film as a retro freshman, I talked to a couple people within the league. They're like, I think he could be a first round pick. I said, If he makes any kind of progress from his retro freshman to retro sophomore season, I think we're looking at a top ten pick in the draft because his power and natural grip strength is impossible to find. He's special in that regard good athlete, checks every box. He's going to be 21 years old. I Actually, at times thought he was worse as a redshirt sophomore because his hand usage was bad. Mm. I think that was the problem with everything as a redshirt sophomore was. And it could be because he was so good as a redshirt freshman, he kind of mailed it in and said, basically, these players in the AAC I'm going up against aren't that great. I'm not going to use my hands. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to chuck them to the ground and may get a penalty or not. But at his best, he is right up there with Charles Cross, Evan Neal, and Aquanu. Yeah, and you could argue that he has a lot of similarities to Aquanu, and he tested better. Did I... Think they were going to make that pick? No, I thought they would have taken Jermaine Johnson. You know, they need a pass rusher to be able to plug him in at left guard. Did you, to Tyron Smith?
1: Did you like what Jerry did at the press conference, showing his list of his first
3: I loved it because I got to see what a draft board looked like. You know, you always wonder, like, what a team do they have? Like Cole Strange? Does every team has Cole Strange as a? top 20 prospects of the Patriots weren't crazy. They were pretty conventional with their board. I thought they were higher on Tyler than most teams would have been, but mm-hmm. I thought you can't find his traits round two or below. And I think you get to put him at left guard. You have Tyron Smith at left tackle. If he can learn anything from Tyron Smith, I mean, he's the best tackle that we've seen in a while. So I think he's able to learn from Tyron, play left guard. Worst case, he's, I think, a top 10 guard in the NFL mm-hmm. early on in his career. Best case scenario, learns how to use his hands better, unlocks that natural grip strength and power that he possesses. And you're looking at a franchise left tackle by year two. I think that it wasn't a crazy pick. Yeah, it's unconventional. You have Jermaine Johnson, who's an All-American Florida State guy, was at Georgia previously, dominated. His film's awesome. You know, you had some other guys available who they could have taken. But I didn't hate the pick at 24. Sam Williams in the second round, the old Miss pass rusher. I thought if his character was better, he should have gone there. The Cowboys did it last year when they took Kelvin Joseph in the second round. Back-to-back years, taking guys who were probably high second-round They like delinquents,
1: don't they? Yeah,
3: his character stuff is really bad. None of this is overblown, but he can get after the passer. They've already dealt with some issues with Kelvin Joseph this offseason. Micah Parsons had character-related things last year. Kelvin did josh ball did sam williams this year so not necessarily the best of things but they got a talented player in the second round i probably would have not had him on my draft board but they did and he he's talented and they got damone clark on day three linebacker from lsu he was their other really intriguing pick to me because he would have been a high second round pick, but a spinal issue caused him to fall. I thought he would have fallen out of the draft, but they took him there. And worst case, it's a failed fifth, sixth round draft pick, but best case scenario, you're looking at a guy who, who has starter upside. So I didn't hate their draft. I think when you focus on the Smith pick, yeah, Tulsa kid in the first round. It's surprising, but I didn't hate it. You know, the position they're in also. They have a really good team, I felt, in a really bad division, so I didn't hate their draft.
2: The quintessential part is that they were drafting Sam Williams to replace Randy Gregory, who fell in the second round in 2015 because of character issues. <laughs> was supposed to be a top-ten pick. So there were also a lot of teams that did not have a first-round pick. Arizona, the Raiders, the Browns, the Colts. Are any of those teams that did not first-round picks, had great drafts that stood out to you with their value?
3: The Colts, they always have a really good draft. Stick with day two they had Alec Pierce wide receiver from Cincinnati who to me reminded me of Michael Pittman got him at 53 I like the value there and then Bernard Raymond who I thought would have been a second round pick he's a tackle from central michigan he's on the older side and he doesn't have super long arms but i think at that point in the draft i think he was picked 73 they got good value there so they just hit on draft picks they've done a very good job in the middle rounds arizona always drafts unconventionally i didn't love their class the bears they didn't address offense enough in my do they opinion. ever
2: They <laughs> drafted kevin white seventh overall <laughs> Yeah, how long ago was that and what did they, kevin they, white yeah, do in the league nothing <laughs> that hurts
4: <laughs>
3: i thought a lot of teams when you don't have a first round pick like I love the Rams' first pick, Logan Bruss, at the end of the third round from Wisconsin, their guard. I think he's going to be able to be a starter in the league. Arizona, I feel like, I don't know how Steve Kimes still has a job. He's been able to really just parlay Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald and the magic that, that they had. And then you fail with Josh Rosen. I think you got Kyler Murray, who saves it again. He's done a really bad drafting. So Marquise Brown in the first round, I thought was an odd decision, but it's to keep Kyler around. Of course. Keep Kyler happy. Marquise and Kyler played it. Oklahoma. Why can't they together. do that for
1: Justin Fields over there in Chicago? I feel so bad for that kid. They're just driving him to fail. And I don't care what Keyshawn Johnson says on ESPN, that he thinks Justin Fields is going to take the biggest leap. What the hell is he going to be leaping? He's not throwing it to anybody. He's better off throwing it to me on the field. I probably can run better routes than half the guys on that roster you <laughs> That's horrible. Don't worry, they have 10 tight ends. They'll make oh it work. Oh my, I feel so bad for that kid. He's just moving towards failing. And he's got a defensive coordinator as a head coach. Ever flew, he's a good defensive coordinator. Does anybody think that this guy could coach the offensive side of the ball? You have to prove it to me before you can do it. And I don't know if he can. As everybody knows, we are talking to NFL Draft Bible assistant scouting director and writer, Jack Borowski. I don't know much about this kid Clemens on the Jets. The Jets got him in the fourth round. Everybody says this guy is a mean SOB. He does a lot of things on and off the field that kind of have you shake your head, but when he puts on that helmet, he wants to rip people's heads off, and that's why the Jets love him. He's a leader, played for Texas A&M. Tell the fans a little bit about this kid. Who is Mr. Clemens?
3: Funny story with him. I've always been a decent fan of his film. I thought his tape against Alabama this past season when he was going up against Leatherwood and Evan Neal was some of the most impressive film I saw against two first-round picks. I liked him a lot, and then so I was at the Combine and they have Exos, which is a training facility they have them all over so exos what they do at the combine is they rent out a room at the hotel like on the basement floor and that's where guys warm up for when then go off to Lucas Oil Stadium to participate. I'm in that room and I see this guy. Arms are down to his knees. He is shredded like I've never seen anyone. Nose rig. Looks like he's about to kill someone. i like, that dude looks like a first round pick. So I asked someone, who is that? They're like, Michael Clemens. I'm sold on him after seeing that. He looked like what you see when you look at defensive ends, James Harrison. Someone who looks like he's determined to rip your head off. His tape's really good. Injury history, old age, that's what Hurt him, but you want a guy who I think could be a situational passer, so he's powerful. He's got a high motor. For the fourth round, I thought he would have gotten in the third. So I thought that was solid value there. There are questions off the field as well.
1: They say he's got a bad temper. When he gets angry, it's going to take like a team to hold him back. That's the type of player that he is. But he's a good team leader. He's a team player. He'll back up any one of those players. And the Jets want to be mean. The Baltimore Ravens, why they were so good over the years. And that's where Joe Douglas comes from. He comes from that Aussie type of drafting board. And this kid, they say, is everything that you expect an Aussie Newsom to draft. That by itself could tell you who he is as a player and what he could be for the New York Jets. A lot of people loved the pick in the fourth round. So I'm very interested to see what this kid could turn out to be as an NFL player.
2: So you were actually, uh, the last time we had on the show, the big Darian Beavers stand as one of your sleeper. He goes to the Giants in the sixth round. What do you think of that kind of fit?
3: I think it was a really good value pick because... The Giants, day two and early day three, were making some decisions that I was stunned with. Started yeah. with Wondale Robinson. Then they took two guards from North Carolina. I thought they took Marcus McKeith in, in the fifth round. I thought, yeah, I could see him getting a free agent pickup, but nowhere near that kind of value. Josh Ezudo in the third round. That's a high third round pick that they're taking a guy who I think could be maybe below average to average starting guard in the league. So I did not like many of their draft picks, but then they come back and they took... B- He a sixth round, and he's very similar to Zayvon Collins. I think that they share a lot of similarities. I think that they're going to get at least a phenomenal special teamer who's going to play a long time in the league in that regard. I thought his testing was good. He's got really good size. People question his hips. They're a little tight, but he had the fastest three-cone of any linebacker at the combine by a significant margin and then he ran the same time basically at his pro day and he was fast enough, his vert was really good he tested off the charts, his instincts are not bad, he played at a big time school, looked good against teams like Alabama, I don't know why he fell that far, I was surprised he got out of the fourth round and could have seen him go day two with some of the linebackers that were picked, I thought they got great value there and he was my favorite pick outside of the first round for them, worst case if there's something there, he's just missing, which is why he fell. I still think they're going to get a great special teamer, which we saw teams like Washington take Percy Butler the safety from Louisiana in the fourth round who's a special teamer only in my opinion so I thought that was great value where they got
4: him
1: The first quarterback off the board was Kenny Pickett. I predicted that to happen and a lot of people thought that the Steelers were going to go after Malik. Malik fell all the way to the third round. A lot of people were surprised. Tennessee drafts him you heard what Tannehill said at his press conference. I guess throwing Malik under the bus. You're a veteran quarterback, you You would expect a veteran quarterback saying, hopefully he learns a little bit from me. I'd like to help him grow as a quarterback. That's what most veteran quarterbacks would say. But he got very personal about it. We're fighting for the same spot. Whatever. What were your thoughts about the quarterbacks and where they fell? Uh, were you surprised Tannehill took a shot at Malik? And do you think the Steelers got it right with Kenny Pickett?
3: Yeah, I'll start with the Tannehill thing. Yeah, it makes no sense why he'd say that. I've heard a lot of stories of quarterbacks who just aren't good dudes and don't want to help the guys who are younger, and that's totally fine, but you don't gotta say it. Like, Malik's not gonna go to the press in, like, three months and be like, yeah, Tannehill said he was gonna help me, and he didn't, so I don't like the... Like, he's not gonna say anything. I don't know why he felt the need to say anything that Because he's a punk,
1: and I hope he loses his job. They asked Malik, what did he think what Tannehill said? And he said, listen, he's got his own opinions towards what he wants. I respect him. I hope to learn something that I see when he's practicing on the field. Malik was being very professional about it. This SOB, he's complaining and bitching. Dude, play your game. You, you've been on this team for two years. You couldn't get this team over the hump. As talented it was, you had A.J. Brown and Julio Jones and all the weapons you had last year, maybe not the whole season. You still failed. You had Derrick Henry arguably the best back in all of football. Don't bitch and moan because they went after a quarterback because you couldn't do it. That's what I would have said to him if I was a press guy sitting around right there Stop bitching and moaning about a quarterback.
3: It wasn't his fault he was drafted. I don't get it. It was dumb. Unfortunately, I don't think Willis is taking his job. Tannehill didn't make the playoffs last year. And I do. Was a third round I think he's going to take his job. It's more exciting. I mean, Tannehill's not a really fun player, but go back to the quarterback class. I wasn't a fan of Malik Wilson at all this past summer with Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell oh, were God. the top two. Everyone else was a project. Desmond Ritter, Carson Strong, Kenny Pickett wasn't even on the radar, Malik Willis Project as well. Rattler, you know, oh, falls God. off a cliff, gets benched. Good, he did
1: belongs off a cliff, I hate
3: him.
2: I can't wait <laughs> until he
1: gets drafted next year and he fails in the NFL, him and his bragging family. I watched him in that stupid show, and you want to know something? He's pathetic, and you know what? He could say whatever he wants. He can go to South Carolina, he can go to North Carolina, he can go to Alabama, he'll still fail in the NFL because a punk like that don't belong in the NFL.
3: So Rattler gets benched, he's off the grid. Howell Plays worse because his weapons aren't that good, and he's just not super talented. You know, he's really solid in terms of accuracy, but holds on to the ball too long. Rushed for a lot of yards, but isn't really that athletic, and just isn't anything special. Strong was terrible. Ritter improved a lot. He probably improved Mm -hmm. more than anyone. And then Willis, I thought, took a step back. I had him as a second-round grade going into the season, a high two, actually. Then I had a third-round grade on him where he was drafted after the season. And then Kenny Pickett shot up and was considered the top quarterback. So it was like a Pickett. You had Matt Corral as well, who I didn't mention, but he progressed a little bit. Then you had Ritter, Strong, Powell kind of grouped together. And Willis was the sixth. Senior Bowl comes. And all of a sudden, Malik Willis jumps to like one or two because he had a solid day in the rain. You didn't watch his games against Louisiana, Monroe, and Middle Tennessee State, where he had three interceptions in both of them. Ole Miss, you had him against Corral. And yes, Ole Miss, power five defense going up against Willis. He can't read a field. And the thing that worried me the most was what you had to be able to do, which for your Jets fan, Zach Wilson struggled with last year is see a guy open even if he's not open. Malik Willis could not do that. The guy had to be wide open for him. He couldn't throw anyone open. He wasn't confident enough to throw the ball unless someone was open. And he just didn't do a great job of reading the defense, which a lot of quarterbacks struggle with, and which is why a lot of them aren't first-round picks. He does not at natural accuracy-wise. He's not the runner of Lamar Jackson. He couldn't beat out Bo Nix at Auburn, transfers to Liberty. Like, if I put Matt Corral on Liberty's team, is he throwing for 100 touchdowns and zero intercept? Like How's this work? You put Sam Howell on Liberty. The good team he played this season, he wasn't that great against. He was actually horrible. And then people just, because he looked good in shorts and a t-shirt, and he wasn't even that good, they just shot him up to the first round. He ended up reaching as high as second overall to the Lions in some mock drafts. I always had a third-round grade on him. By the way, I
1: think Desmond Ritter is going to be the best quarterback in this draft class. I'm not going to
3: say you're crazy for that. I had a third-round grade on Ritter over the summer. Stuck with a third-round grade. I
1: think he's going to be a star quarterback. A little bit behind Mariota for maybe a year or two. He's going to take over with that Atlanta team, with that strength. And they want this mobile quarterback. And I think he's more accurate than Lamar Jackson. I think he's going to be a good quarterback in this league.
3: He checks all the boxes of a successful quarterback. He's tall enough. He's a winner in college. He's super mature. He has the experience. He has enough arm strength. He has enough mobility. The main concern is he doesn't have the natural accuracy. But mm-hmm. I didn't think Dak Prescott did. Either to out, Lamar. And look at what Lamar has done. I'm not going to sit there and say he won't be or will be the best. He checks a lot of boxes that seem to be successful in the league. To me, Kenny Pickett, I thought he was great value at 20. I think he's a really good quarterback. I Mm. think he's super accurate, all levels of the field. If you look at 10-yard split for a quarterback, that's the first 10 yards, your run, which for the most part, unless you are an exceptional runner, that's all you're going to be running for. He was, I think, .02 slower than Ritter and the second fastest 10-yard split in the entire class. Winner experience, same things that Ritter had. I just think he's more accurate. I thought he was great within the pocket, great outside the pocket. I think some of the question marks you have with him are decision-making at times. He threw some wild passes that I didn't think were awesome. He doesn't have elite level tools. He's got that moxie. He's got everything you want in a quarterback and he stays in Pittsburgh. So there's going to be no adjustment to the city and the life that comes with being a franchise quarterback. I think he can handle it. He's got Najee Harris. He's got four or five good receivers at this point. Pat Fryermuth at tight end. A good enough offensive line for what the kind of player he is. He's similar to Joe Burrow in the regard that Joe Burrow didn't have a good offensive line in college, didn't have one in the NFL. I think both of them can succeed because of their play styles. With lesser groups and he's got a really solid defense outside of the cornerback group so i think that kenny pickett was a home run pick if you can get a franchise quarterback at 20 i had him graded higher than mac jones and mac jones was successful as a rookie i think he's gonna be a really solid starter i thought that was a great pick at 20 if he doesn't hit he wasted the 20th pick it's not like they traded three first round picks like the 49ers did a year before they sat there at 20 waited and they took a guy who i had as my top quarterback in the class the only guy I had a first round grade on. I had him one. Then I had Ritter and Willis and Corral in the third round, which they all went. And then I had Howell as an early fourth right oh. behind them. I thought Howell was great value in the fifth round and didn't really like any quarterback outside of that. But people talk it's not a good quarterback class. I think Pickett's a starter. I think that Willis, Ritter, or Corral, one of them's going to develop into a starter. You don't get two starting quarterbacks in every class. So no. crazy to say that. But I think two of them develop into starters in the league, which is good enough. Pittsburgh. You guys should be happy, Atlanta. You guys should be happy, Carolina. You guys should be happy, and Tennessee. I think they should be happy as well. I don't think anyone overdrafted a quarterback. I think they all got great value, and they're all in great spots.
2: Besides Darian Beavers, one value pick that you really liked, maybe a day three or even like a third round pick, and one reach. That was the biggest one in the draft for you.
3: The biggest reach, I think you have reaches early on. I didn't think so this year too much. I think every Patriots draft pick. I'm going to just say Patriots class was a reach. You go top to bottom, two running backs, Pierre Strong in the fourth round and Kevin Harris in the sixth. Both of them were reach picks. I thought Cole Strange in the first was a reach. I thought Taquan Thornton in the second was a reach. Marcus Jones in the third, the Houston cornerback, wasn't necessarily a reach. Then they came back and they took Jack Jones in the fourth, the Arizona State cornerback, who I was stunned was going to get drafted. They took him in the fourth round. So they think this guy's going to potentially be a starter. I did not see that. So I'm going to say the Patriots, entire class, hard to choose a reach. I'll choose one for you Giants fans. Wondale Robinson in the second round was a wow reach. With George Pickens, Alec Pierce, Sky Moore on the board, you guys decided to take a receiver. I thought would have gone to the fourth round if you didn't take him in the second. I was stunned by that pick. The Cole Strange one, Shocked me. That one was a stunner as well. I thought those two were really big surprises. And then I'll choose a guy, pick 32, Lewis C., and I think he's a top five player in the draft, the Georgia safety. Cowboys had him 13 on their board, so they weren't too off from where I have him. But I think he's going to be a Pro Bowl caliber player early on. I know he plays safety, but to get a guy like that at 32 when I thought the team should have taken him in the top 20, and he's not that far off from Kyle Hamilton. The way he tested running sub-4-4... With the best broad jump in the draft, awesome vertical. He's six foot two. If you put him and Kyle Hamilton's testing numbers next to each other, you say, holy cow, Lewis Seen's a way better athlete. And if you look at their instincts as well, mm-hmm. Lewis's instincts are better. Hamilton's obviously the better player. Hamilton to me was the best player in the draft, even after that 40 time, he's gonna be potentially the best safety. But I think Lewis gonna be up there with him and Derwin James and some of those other guys. So I thought that was good value. Well, Mr.
1: Borowski, we really appreciate you joining us. You're awesome. We definitely Definitely want to get you on as the season starts to get closer we'll talk about OTAs and some of these young players and where you believe they're going to be this year as a rookie you're very educated when it comes to the draft and figuring out who's going to be good and who's going to be not let's see what these players are going to be when the season starts and they step on a football field and have to compete against some of the best in the world but we really appreciate it tell the fans how they can find you on social media
3: yep you find me jack underscore instagram twitter mostly post nfl draft content nfl content in general That's Definitely appreciate you guys having me on. We'll see how these guys turn out. Obviously, the draft is just one piece of the puzzle. You can get great value, but we'll see how these guys play on this.
1: Thank you, Mr. Borowski.
3: Appreciate it, guys.
1: Jack Borowski, ladies and gentlemen. All the different scouts, all the different analysts that we've had on the show to go through the NFL draft have been sensational. Jack's a young guy. He's an up-and-coming star for Sports Illustrated. We're very happy to have him. I hope everybody enjoyed that interview. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into some NFL conversation here on The Weekend Crunch. Our back, ladies and gentlemen, this is The Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, to can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app on iOS, WWSRN or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. There's a lot of stuff going on in the NFL, and I'm not surprised. After the draft, there's just so much mishmash going around as the Honey Badger heads over to the Saints, and the Saints bringing in another guy. It looks like the Saints are winning in free agency as... After they brought in Mr. Badger, they bring in Jarvis Landry, which any Saints fans out there, you should be very excited. Now, the quarterback position is going to be questionable because I don't know if they know who's going to be that guy going into this year. They paid Taysom Hill a lot of money and they're bringing back Jameis Winston and Trevor Simeon. So, and a new coach now. There's no more star coach over there anymore. You got a guy that failed. With the Oakland Raiders, now he's going to have an opportunity again to coach over there with the Saints. Very successful defensive coordinator over the years with the Saints, but you still have Alvin Kamara coming back. So this offense is going to be fun to watch. Michael Thomas, they drafted Alave at number 11, so they're going to have a high-flying offense this year. The question is, who's going to be their quarterback? But adding Jarvis Landry is not something to cry about, and he's another LSU Tiger. All these Louisiana guys coming back home, I think it's going to be very exciting if you're a Saints fan, watching all these LSU guys come back to their college alma mater, I I think you should be very excited.
2: Yeah, the Saints have always done the reverse, too. They always seem to never sign or draft those guys because there's a lot of mutual fans with both that have always been itching. There's a big LSU guy in free agency. Let's go get him and they never do. Now finally they get two of them too. They just signed the Honey Badger last week. Arguably one of the best safeties in the NFL. Getting a little older but still only 29. Still very young. Definitely going to help out when he's turned into one of the best secondaries in football. Now receiving depth. Something they've lacked for years. Even when Drew Brees was there it was always they had one guy and they had to make the other guys with Drew Brees, Sean Payton in the scheme. Now they actually have Alave. They have Jarvis Landry and, Matt and Mike Michael Thomas probably coming back now. It seems like he's very excited about this offense. And then you got Kamara, who's arguably, when healthy, one of the best pass-catching backs in the league, too. Now, yes, Jameis Winston is a turnover-prone guy, but he still has a lot of arm talent, too. Gives with the... all those weapons,
1: it's, yeah. it's going to be fun it'll, to will It'll
2: still give the ability for somebody like Olave to Don't stretch the field. Don't forget about Alvin Kamara, yep. either. Uh-huh. No, I just called him one of the best <laughs> pass-catching backs in the league. I love Kamara. And it gives those guys the ability to stretch the field, too. Michael Thomas never really thought of as a burner type, and same kind of thing with Olave, but somebody like Jameis Winston with that kind of arm strength. They'll get theirs in the, on the deep ball, too.
1: So, if you're a Saints fan, that's good news. As a Jet fan, I mean, the Jets have reached out to and Joby, who was signed by the Bears, failed his oh, no. physical. He was dropped. A lot of Chicago fans were very excited about him, failed to get him. And now the Jets are looking to bring him in for a three- or four-year deal worth about $40 million. I mean, if the Jets could get their paws on him, that defensive line is just getting better and better, adding a guy like Johnson in the draft, a uh, Carl Lawson coming back. He's still have Quincy Williams there, Quinton Williams, too. This team is loaded with C.J. Mosley, the secondary, with Sauce Gardner and the kid Whitehead from Tampa. So this secondary is much better than they were last year. I I think it's going to be fun to watch the Jets. Are they a playoff team? No. I think they're a seven or eight-win season. If Zach Wilson could take three or four steps forward... This team is going to be very, very dangerous in the AFC moving forward.
2: Yeah, I'll start with Ogunjobi. Uh, it fits a scheme perfectly. A guy that's been a 4-3 defensive tackle pretty good throughout his career, too. Would have been a probably second-round pick if he didn't fall because of off-field issues at the time back in 2016. You're getting a guy that has a lot of talent. He's going to be plugged in next to Quinn and Williams. you still got Sheldon Rankins there, who don't sleep on him when he's healthy. He's a top-five pass-rushing defensive tackle and a good run-stopper, too. And then Solomon Thomas is your fourth guy in a scheme that really does well with interior guys. I think they bolster up that front four. And the secondary now with what they did in the draft. That's what you need in today's game for a defense. You can make the linebackers work with the scheme. We've seen the 49ers with Robert Sala do that with many different linebackers. Now that'll be a test for the Jets. Because it's really the only major like talent weakness. But they still got C.J. Mosley there too. Who's still very good. They're also talking to Kawan Alexander. Wow. So if that could, they could pull that off. Wow. There's
1: so much the Jets could do. And they still have money that they could spend. They're going to have to try to sign Quinton Williams next year. I believe he will sign back with the Jets. His brother plays for the Jets right now. I expect he wants to be there for a long, long time, but they're bringing all these names in. Mm -hmm. Maybe the Jets are thinking where they want to save money. It's a great insurance policy if they can't sign him. Yeah, so looking forward, the Jets are expected to be uh, a very exciting team, especially offensively, adding Garrett Wilson in the draft, arguably the best wide receiver in the draft, and Bryce Hall, who is an explosive Mm -hmm. running back. This is going to be a much better offense for the New York Jets. Before we get into the schedules, Tom Brady... Gets a huge contract by Fox. A 10-year deal worth about $375 million when he retires. Whenever he retires, coming back from retirement, seems like it was a couple of weeks. And he's back, and I believe he's still going to play for another one or two years. He just signed uh, a 10-year, $375 million contract with Fox Sports. He will be the lead guy moving forward for the future of this Fox broadcast. We saw Troy Aikman leave. We've seen all these different broadcasters leave. Tom Brady, obviously one of the greatest, if not the greatest, quarterback to ever play the game. He's very well respected around the league, very soft-spoken. Is he going to be a good broadcaster? Well, Fox better hope he is. Paying him $37.5 million a year, he's going to be paid more than he's ever made as a starting quarterback in the NFL. That contract will secure him as the highest-paid broadcaster in sports history. And by the way, he will be making, in those 10 years, more money than he's made in his 20-year career as a starting
2: quarterback. Hall of Fame player. Seems like a plea of desperation for Fox. You're seeing all these streaming services now taking over. Amazon went the biggest one this offseason, bringing in all these broadcasters that were previously on main channel broadcasts. So now they're trying to counter with maybe just a new approach, trying to bring in all these players. We saw Tony Romo with a successful broadcasting career he's had so far. And maybe Fox is trying to think the same thing. I don't know if Tom Brady will be that guy, but he's definitely going to draw. But that's a lot of money.
1: It is a lot of money. When you look at the NFL and where the NFL is going, it's all about money. And these quarterbacks are making it. So it's unbelievable where the NFL is going with the money deals and the TV deals that they're getting. Tom Brady is getting a lot of money for a guy that's never broadcasted in his life. Whoever's managing and whoever's his agent, I would give him a nice big pound and maybe give him a nice $10 million raise. That contract is ridiculous. I give him a lot of credit. A guy that has never done this before to get a contract like that is taking a risk, but it is Tom Brady and he does draw because he's one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. NFL schedules, I know a lot of Giant fans were very interested in their schedule. I think the Giants schedule is very doable. Speedy, let's go through the Giants' schedule and why we think that the Giants could have the opportunity to win 10 games this year and be a wildcard team.
2: Well, you're a lot more optimistic than I am, but the talent is definitely there and the schedule is definitely there. They open the season on the road against Tennessee, just traded A.J. Brown. Then they're home three straight games, all potentially winnable. The Panthers week two, then the Cowboys week three, and the Bears, so I don't know what they're doing this offseason, week number four. Then week five, they're at Green Bay. That's probably a loss unless some, for some reason Aaron Rodgers demands a trade in the middle of the season, but I doubt that. Not necessarily, because Aaron doesn't have anybody to throw to. Giants will just cut their best corner, too. I don't
1: know what to expect when it comes to Aaron Rodgers in this Green Bay Packer team. They didn't bring any free agent wide receivers. They're expected to play with Randall and who?
2: Christian Watson, who they drafted.
1: I wouldn't be excited if I was a Green Bay Packer fan going into the season with their wide receivers and Aaron Rodgers not throwing to a guy like Adams. They lost him to a trade. If you're a Green Bay Packer fan, and I love Aaron Rodgers, there is a sense of worry going into the season without bringing in a big time wide receiver to help Aaron Rodgers out.
2: So then you got the Ravens week 6 at home and it's at Jacksonville at Seattle that could be hit or miss. Then you got the Texans, they should beat the Texans. Detroit they should beat, but they're also improved too. Detroit had a good office. They should I would beat say. Detroit. Then they're at Dallas, which they haven't won at Dallas in a long time. Dallas right now is not as good as they were last year. That's so fair. this is the weird one. They got both their other division rivals bunched up at the end of the season. They got the commanders twice in three weeks. Home. And they could beat the commanders both. Times. They could at home and then on the road two weeks later. Then they got the Eagles. It mixed in between that. That's,
1: throughout this season, I think they're gonna have problems with the Eagles. Yeah, Eagles I do are very too. They are
2: and then they're at Minnesota. That could go either way. The Colts, they always struggle against the Colts. I expect that's to be a loss. I think they
1: beat Minnesota. Minnesota has a rookie coach. They're still questionable uh, as far as their defense is concerned.
2: I think they did well improving that in the draft, though. I think they're still a talented team, though offensively, though too. They could definitely be a wild card team, and then you got the Eagles at the end of the season, which they never win in Philly. So that'll be
1: as far as the Jets are concerned. This schedule is brutal. If you're a Jet fan right now, yes, you love the acquisitions they made. They brought in Conklin. They brought in Osama. You would expect that this team was going to have a good season. But their schedule, every year, it's brutal after brutal after brutal schedule. We'll go through it, and I'm going to tell you why. I still think in a good season, the Jets could win seven or eight games. And I expect them to do it. If Zach Wilson takes a foot forward with the weapons that they have, and this defense plays as well as we think it could play this year, this team could be a borderline playoff team, and they could be fighting for a playoff wild card spot, but because there's so much depth in the AFC, I expect the Jets to fall short because Buffalo's expected to be good. You know you can't count out New England, and right. Miami made some acquisitions, too, in the offseason. I still think Miami's the worst team in this division. Tyreek Hill doesn't scare me. That's because you have Tua throwing him the ball. But <laughs> and it's still a terrible offensive line. <laughs> which the Jets have definitely boosted up their offensive line in the offseason. And the Jets have
2: boosted ball. up their pass rush to have fun with that, too. <laughs> yes,
1: but anyways, let's go through it. Baltimore, game number one, September 11 in MetLife Stadium. I expect that game to be a loss. Now, Baltimore is definitely going to be better. They brought in Kyle Hamilton. They drafted <laughs> Lane Baum. I think that's a loss. Now, they go to Cleveland. I think they beat Cleveland because I don't know Who's their starting quarterback? Is Baker going to play? Is Deshaun Watson actually going to start the season? And if Deshaun plays, he's going to learn that offense. It's going to take him a little while to fill in. If it's Baker, Baker doesn't really have that star wide receivers anymore. Jarvis Landry is gone. I traded for Amari Cooper. Yeah, Amari right? Cooper's one guy. They had three guys on that offensive side of the ball. They don't have it anymore. Odell Beckham, gone. Jarvis Landry, gone. This is not a good offensive team that they were the last couple of years with the talent that they had on the offensive side of the ball. They don't have that anymore. This is is a run-first team, and it will stay run-first. I think they beat Cleveland. Then they play Cincinnati in MetLife Stadium. They beat Cincinnati last year. I don't think they beat them this year. I think Cincinnati wins, especially upgrading their offensive line. They play Pittsburgh in Hines Field. Very hard to beat Pittsburgh yeah. in Hines Field. I think that's a loss. So right there, they're 1-3. Then they play Miami. In MetLife Stadium. I think they beat Miami in MetLife. Then they go to Lambeau. Now I don't know what this Green Bay Packers team is gonna be. My prediction, they surprise and shock the Green Bay Packers and knock off Green Bay. Then then they go to Denver. They lose against Denver, Russell Wilson in Denver. Then New England, MetLife Stadium. I think they lose. Then Buffalo, MetLife Stadium, they lose in Buffalo. They win three games out of those games. Then their bye week. I think they beat New England in New England. They beat the Bears. They beat the Vikings. They beat Buffalo. They win all four games right off the bye week. Wow! They beat Detroit. They beat Jacksonville. They lose Seattle and lose Miami. I think the Jets arguably could win six games in a row and end the season with nine wins. Wow. Why do I think that? Because I think New England gets off on a high. I think they kill the Jets in MetLife Stadium. I do. I think they beat the Jets down in MetLife Stadium. And they think it's going to be an easy game like they did last year. And as they won both games last year. I think the Jets knock him off in New England after the bye week. Now, does nine wins get you in the playoffs? No. And a lot of people would say, that's second half of the season. Besides New England, Chicago's winnable, Minnesota's winnable, Buffalo, probably not, Detroit, Jacksonville, Seattle, and Miami. Those are all winnable games.
2: Yeah, the Jets' schedule, they get all the AFC North out of the way, and then they get the NFC North at the end of the season, which should be a lot of gifts. I still think Minnesota's still going to be tough, but Chicago's terrible, and Detroit's still rebuilding. so, so. I think the Jets could win nine
1: games. My prediction, seven or eight. But right here, looking at the schedule and the way the schedule lands, I still think the Jets will win one game against New England. I don't think they'll win any of the games against Buffalo. Okay. I think they beat Miami at least once. Yeah, I think the Jets could win 9 games this year. Do I think they're going to win 9 games? I don't know. Some people think they could win 10 games this year. If the talent really falls together and Zach Wilson plays as well as they think he could play. I, with I would the give team.
2: way for like one fluky loss, though. Too. There's going to be one team they should beat and they'll lose, to though. Every team has that every year. So let's say 9, I think is pretty fair. So
1: the schedules are very interesting. I think the Giants' schedule is so much easier than the Jets. I think the Jets' second half, besides New England and Buffalo, I think it's fairly easy. If the Jets could win 6-6, Of their last eight games and win three of their first seven games, I think the Jets are positioned to win nine games. So if the Jets win five more games than they did last year, that's a good season. Then you expect next year – them to take two steps forward, right. where you expect them to win 11 or 12 games with all the rookies actually playing a year under their belt and with the talent that they have and still money that they can spend in the offseason as they have to bring Quint Williams back in, maybe add another piecer here in the draft, of course. So it'll be a very interesting season as the New York Jets have an opportunity to really show people what they are as an organization and what they are with the new regime of Robert Sala. And Joe Douglas. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? We got some baseball and then some crunch time here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Peedy. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Before we get into some crunch time, we have to talk a little baseball. And this baseball season has just been fun to watch. The New York Mets have been dominant in almost every sector of baseball. Their defense has gotten better as the season slowly has progressed for them. They're getting offense from Lindor. They're getting offense from Pete Alonso. He had two bombs in a game this past week, over 20 RBIs. And they're getting offense all over the board for this team that has just been remarkable offensively sounds, and as far as their bullpen, their bullpen has been fairly great. Diaz has been the best or second-best closer in baseball. Good middle relief. They've been very fun to watch as well, and this rotation with Max Scherzer, McGill, Bassett, even without Jacob DeGrom, they've been sensational too, so Speedy, there's nothing bad to say about this Met team.
2: Yeah, this pitching depth has been very good. Drew Smith, unfortunately, finally allowed his first run, but beyond that, he's been pitching fantastic .63 RRA. Tywon Walker this week had his first great start of the season, which is good to see if he can get him can get back going. you're right about the offense too. They're really deep. Alonso leads the National League in RBIs with 20 right now, has had a lot of moonshots this week, and just getting production all around. When one guy's slumping, which Lindor finally has gotten out of it, other guys have been able to pick it up, and that's what a good offense needs. The Mets have depth finally, and hitting with scoring position, which they haven't had for years. As far
1: as the Yankees are concerned, all you Yankee fans should be very excited. They have the best record in baseball. Everything they're doing is just great. And right now, for all the Yankee fans that were running out Brian Cashman and running out Aaron Boone, well, who's laughing now? Aaron Boone right now is coaching and managing the best team in baseball, where everybody thought, with not the big acquisitions where everybody expected them to bring Correa or somebody else in in the offseason. They didn't do any of that. They brought in Other pieces. They brought back Rizzo, who's been sensational for them. Offered a guy like Aaron Judge the money that he offered. He decided to decline it. We'll see what they do in the offseason with Aaron Judge. But all the different things that they made and the moves that they made. Nasty Nestor, who's been sensational, really, since last year, since they brought him back to the team. He's been sensational. Garrett Cole, his last three games, has been dominant, giving no earned runs. This rotation, where everybody thought that this rotation was weak, this has been the best rotation in the American League and one of the best rotations in baseball. And this bullpen which has been the best bullpen in baseball really since the beginning of the season is just looking better and better. They're so good. They had to send somebody down that has been pitching good in the bullpen Schmidt. They sent back down to the minor leagues, which nobody thought he should have been sent down, but they're so good. And they have so much depth right now. They didn't need him in the bullpen. So it's amazing. Where the Yankees are right now, they're the best defensive team in baseball. Yes, and right now if the season were to end, Aaron Boone is manager of the year. So eat your heart out. Yankee fans.
2: Yeah, and you're seeing the modern identity of the Yankees really started to take over. Their bullpen was good for a while because of the big, big names. The routine at the seven, eight, nine at the end of the game that was just so locked down. Now it's different. Now they have guys pitching in so many different spots. Yes, Chapman's still closing, but beyond that, everyone else is pitching in so many different roles. Clay Holmes has pitched phenomenally. Middle of games, end of games. You have guys like Michael King, 1.35 ERA, just brilliant in so many different roles. And the starting pitching too, they're getting good length, they're getting good consistency. Garrett Cole's finally getting it going again. Drops his ERA to 2.95. That's a great sign for a Yankees team that really needs that kind of pitching depth and a modern identity now. You don't rely on one pitcher and you don't pay all these pitchers these big money. They're still to eat the Zach Britton contract for now, but beyond that, they're trying to get young and get young all at the right time. As far as Aaron Judge, still playing well. 299, 12 home runs, 27 RBIs, and 10 home runs, 30 RBIs. So, their big bombers are getting it going. Anthony Rizzo still hitting well. This is deep, too. Depth is never a problem. When you have, they to have- Three
1: guys that can win MVPs. Yeah. Anthony Rizzo, Giancarlo Stanton, and Aaron Judge. All three players are playing great baseball. Giancarlo Stanton is getting hot right now as we speak. We've seen Giancarlo Stanton. He could go on a tear for four weeks where you can't strike him out, and he's bombing home runs. And Aaron Judge, for like the last past month, he had one home run. He hit like 11 home runs in about 15 games. It's unbelievable what this team is doing offensively. They can't strike out. They have been as good offensively as any team in baseball. And anybody that says that the Yankees aren't playing good baseball or dominant baseball, well, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Sal Licata over there at WFAN needs to start watching the Yankees a little bit more because I don't know what you're watching to say that the Yankees aren't playing as good as the Mets. It's a ridiculous statement. Anyway, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time!
0: It's time for Crunch Time. Read the time. Got to see the pitch.
2: All right, let's start with Game 7 of the Penguins and the Rangers. Buy or sell? The Rangers will still come back and win, even if Sidney Crosby does come back.
1: I'm going to buy it. I can't see the Rangers losing. Game number seven with the third-string goalie. DeMing gave a bad goal up where he had a chance to win it in Pittsburgh and take it to overtime. He's been horrible. Shesterkin hasn't been any better. But I think the Rangers are the better team. Going home definitely gives them a little boost. Give me the Rangers. I will buy
2: it. I'm going to sell it. If he doesn't come back, I think the Rangers will win because I think the Rangers are just getting more face-offs as a whole and being able to move their offense a lot more. They're getting smarter shots. With Crosby on the ice, their defense has been a lot tighter and that first line has been tighter. So I'm going to sell if Crosby does come back. So buy or sell? Both the Suns and the Bucks will win their game sevens. So, I'm not buying that. I think Phoenix will
1: win. I don't know if the Bucks are going to win. I can't trust that the Bucks are going to do it in. Boston. I think Boston has been a very good home team, and Boston really has the momentum
2: going in after game number six. So I'm going to sell that. I'm going to buy it. I think the pressure is on the Celtics. I think Giannis, the best player in this series, really is going to take over in this one. I think the depth comes in strong. Boston fans, you talked about a couple of weeks ago. They'll put pressure on their teams too, and it's going to be a harsh home crowd. A lot of pressure. So I think the Bucks get it done. I don't know if they'll beat Miami after that, but they get it done here. Alright, buy or sell. Both John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge, who are top five in RBIs, will stay that way at the end of June.
1: I think they will. I think their offenses have been sensational. Their schedule is definitely easier than a lot of different teams schedules. I think they'll keep the pace up. I expect both players to have 100 RBIs going into the last month of the season.
2: I'm going to buy it too. I think there's a lot of teams that are banged up right now in the American League that normally had the potent offenses. The Blue Jays have a couple injuries. The White Sox teams you were expecting. Mike Trout might throw a monkey wrench into that, but there's not really any obvious threats. so I will buy it as well. Alright, buy or sell. Kayvon Thibodeau will lead the Giants in sacks this season.
1: I am going to sell that. I know he's a rookie. I know a lot of Giant fans are so excited to see this kid. He still has to learn the speed of the game. He's all about his endorsements and his sponsorships and I don't think football is number one on his list but I expect him to show up one way or another this year. I just don't know he's going to show up on the board as the sack leader for the New York Giants so I'm going to sell that.
2: I'm going to sell it but for a different reason. It's more of the scheme because it's a complex scheme right away. Wink Martindale comes from the Ravens. They love to blitz. They love to rotate pass rushers so I think they'll do a lot of surprise things I think it'll be an interior guy that leads probably either Lawrence or Williams will lead the team so I'm going to sell it all right buy or sell despite a lot of people slandering this Nikola Jokic should have won the
1: MVP I don't know why anybody is slandering this Nikola Jokic is playing for a Nuggets team that didn't have Porter didn't have Murray and the fact that anybody could say that Embiid deserves it Embiid had a great season nobody's taking a shot I would take Giannis over Embiid Jokic has been the best player in the NBA the last two years. Anybody crying that Jokic won is stupid. This guy is the best center in the NBA. It's not even an argument, so I am absolutely going to buy it. Take that to
2: the bank, buddy! I am absolutely buying it, too. This is the first player in NBA history with 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, and 500 assists in a season. This is a guy that dealt with their two best players getting hurt all year in a tough Western Conference, so I don't know what you're saying he doesn't deserve. Why? He doesn't play as good of defense as Embiid? Embiid only led in rebounds by a, a rebound okay he led in shot blocks and then you got Giannis Giannis has a little more depth around him throughout the year even losing Middleton so even though a strong could have, I think he absolutely deserves it I am going to buy it as well all right buy or sell if Peter Laviolette is fired by the Capitals he will be a New York Islanders head coach
1: I believe it I, I think it works I think it works for the Islanders and what they're looking for as a head coach and why not another Washington coach head over there to the Island he's been there before the Islanders should have never fired I
2: do buy that I'm gonna buy it too I think even though they're I'm be other vacancies available. The Islanders have a great general manager, great young team. I think it'll be perfect for Laviolette to get it going again. He never really fell off as a coach with Washington. Washington kind of messed up more with the GM, but why not try to win there? I'm going to absolutely buy it. Alright, last one. Tom Brady, as a result of this broadcasting contract, will only play one more season now.
1: I think he plays two more seasons. I don't. I don't think it's one more season. I expect him to be good this year. If he falls short, I think he'll play one more year to see what he can do in the NFC. The NFC is definitely a winnable conference. It's not like it was over the last couple of years. It's now the AFC and
2: then the NFC, so I am going to sell that. I'm going to buy it. I think the main reason why there was a lot of was he going to retire, was he not, he didn't have anything set after football that was still with football. I think his heart's in the game too much. Now that it's something just football related that he's committed to, I think this will be his last year in the league. So I do think Tom Brady will retire. I will buy it.
1: And that, ladies and gentlemen, is it for our show. We really like to thank Sports Illustrated Draft Bible Assistant Scouting Director Jack Borowski for joining us. Thank you to Moneyline Mania, Chaz, and his boy, his boy toy. I'm just kidding. It's not his boy toy. His friend, his man, his everything, Hector for joining us. Thank you guys for joining us. We will be back next week. I hope all the fans are loving what we're doing here at the 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. We like to be the entertainment for sports here in Long Island. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep listening to us. We'll be back next week with new guests and more sports conversation here on the Weekend Crunch.